All right, everyone. We are back. Episode number three of The Road to Paris. We have a lot more to talk about. I got my producer not behind that camera. She's there on the couch. Soon enough, we will have two producers. We'll have a, a baby. We don't know what the gender is yet. By the time this comes out, maybe we'll have one. We don't know. But that is besides the point. The real winner of the last two weeks, so we've had now three Olympic qualifying events. The last two were in Mexico. The first was a La Paz Challenger. The second one was an Elite 16 in Tepic, Mexico. The real winner was not Taryn Cloth and Kristen Nuss, who won in La Paz. The real winner was not Sweden, Jonathan Helvig and David Amon, who won in Tepic. The real winner was Red Bull. Why? Because three of the four finalist teams are all sponsored by Red Bull. So I figured, heck, work for them. I'm going to give it a try. This is literally my first ever Red Bull, guys. But enough of plugging sponsors that don't actually even sponsor the show. Uh, that is Waikia. But in all seriousness, um, a phenomenal, phenomenal showing in Tepic and La Paz. I'm going to start with Tepic, just recency bias. We're recording this on a Monday right after the finals in Tepic. And Sweden did something that hardly anyone ever does. Coming into that final, Norway's Anders Moll and Christian Sorum, two of the best players of all time already at just 25 and 27 years old. They were 21 and 2 in gold ma- in gold medal matches on the world tour. Sweden comes in, they were 1 and 4 against Norway going into that and they stumped them. 21-15, 21-16 in the finals. A remarkable showing by Amon and Helvig who are just trailblazing a new style, just a fun energy. And I'm so stoked to watch the most absurdly friendly rivalry of all time. You could tell the respect given by those two teams. It was an amazing final. Right before that was the women's final won by the American women. Again, they were the second biggest winners after Red Bull because Kristen Nuss and Taryn Cloth, as I mentioned, they won the La Paz Challenge. They beat fellow Americans, Savvy Simo, host of the Sandcast podcast once a month, and Tony Rodriguez, fresh off of an injury. She missed almost the entire season after she re-injured her knee in New Orleans of an AVP last year, comes back, and they make the finals out of the qualifier. It was an awesome run by the Americans. So of the four total finalists between La Paz and Tepic, three were American women. That's just how deep that American system is becoming. It's so fun to watch, so fun to be a part of. So a huge shout-out to all the American ladies out there, absolute badasses, and Kelly Chang and Sarah Hughes since reuniting They've played seven tournaments. They have now won five. That's their fourth gold medal on the Beach Pro Tour. They won in Torquay at the Challenge. They won in Torquay at the Elite 16. They won the Beach Pro Tour Finals in 150 grand split because of that. Great job, you guys. And then they just won an Elite 16 in Tepic, Mexico. They are now the number one ranked team in the Olympic rankings, which we're building out an Olympic page at Volleyball Magazine. So all of our international content... All of these episodes, they're going to live there. We're going to have updated Olympic rankings. It's going to be a tracker. I have a little spreadsheet set up. Well, producer Delaney has the spreadsheet set up back home. We'll update it after every single event. So after the Brazil challengers to come, it Itapema, Sakurima, and the Elite 16 in Uberlandia. So be on the lookout for that at VolleyballMag.com. We're building out an Olympic tracker. So Kelly Chang and Sarah Hughes, they are now the number one ranked team in the world in the Olympic ranks. Kristen Nuss and Taryn Cloth, they are number two. The number three team is the Aussies, Maria Fay Artacho and Taliku Clancy. They won bronze. But for the most part, 
as far as these episodes go, the, the road to Paris, I'm not going to be talking a whole lot about the top teams because it's almost a foregone conclusion that Anders and Christian, barring something catastrophic or, or divine, no matter whatever side of the ledger you're on, they're going to make the Olympics. Sweden is going to make the Olympics. I think Kelly Chang and Sarah Hughes, there's no question, they're going to make the Olympics. Duda and Anna Patricia of Brazil, who Kelly and Sarah beat in the finals, who are also, by the way, sponsored by Red Bull, they're going to make the Olympics. So this is actually, I'm going to be focusing more on the middle of the road teams, and that's why challengers are actually of more interest to me at the moment than the Elite 16s, because the challengers, that's where you get the points to get into the Elite 16s. And so it's those kind of qualifier level teams in the Elite 16s who are making those big pushes deep into the Elite 16s. That's what I'm going to be talking about here. So Anders and Christian, you'll get your media coverage elsewhere. Amon and Helvig, you'll probably get your media coverage elsewhere. Same goes for Kelly Chang and Sarah Hughes. And I think at this point, you know, I was asked by a listener of the podcast if that was really critical for Kelly and Sarah in regards to the Olympic race. And yes, it is. But I think the American women, it's more of a race for second because I think Kelly and Sarah, you win five out of seven. You've established yourself as, in my mind, the best team in the world. I pegged them to win the world championships. And so it's really a race for second. And so I really won't even be mentioning Kelly and Sarah a whole lot in these specific episodes. We'll talk a lot about them probably on our normal Sandcast episodes. So aside from Red Bull and aside from the American women, the top Olympic storylines, the one that jumped out to me from the last two weeks is the struggles of the Brazilian men. So if you were following along in Tepic, you would have noticed something staggering that Came Shock actually picked up on. I ran into him on the strand in Hermosa Beach the other day and he asked if there was any precedent for the last time that Brazil sent a top team, and not just a top team, but two top teams, three top teams rather, to an event, and none of them made the main draw. There's no precedent. It is the first time in history that that has ever happened. Now, Brazil doesn't always send its top teams. So in Torquay, in the challenge in the Elite 16, they didn't send them. They didn't send them to Hamburg, I believe, and perhaps Paris last year. But when they have sent top teams... There has never been a case that I could find anyway, and you guys feel free to fact check me. I went deep down the BVB rabbit hole to try to find any precedent. That has never happened. A Brazilian team has never been totally shut out of the main draw. George and Andre, the world championship bronze medalist, the team who held the number one ranking in the world for a number of weeks last year, they lost in the qualifier to Trevor Crabb and Theo Bruner, who played excellent Excellent beach volleyball this week. They got a fifth in La Paz, played fantastic there, got stumped twice by Stefan Bormans and York de Groot. They ended up beating the world champs, beating the top team in, not the world champs, they beat the bronze medalists and world champs, beat the top team in Canada, Dan Deering and Sam Schachter, who we just had on the podcast. Played really well, but George and Andre didn't make it out. Hinato Lima and Vitor Philippe didn't make it out of the qualifier. Evandro Goncalves and his new partner, Arthur Mariano, didn't make it out of the qualifier. They lost to Daniele Lupo and Enrico Rossi, who I just I love saying that name. And so the Brazilian men typically have their Olympic teams decided by the end of the year prior to the Olympics. I don't know if they're going to be able to do that at this point unless... They have a really good run. They have the fortune of hosting three straight events. So they're going to have teams wildcarded into the main draw of Itapema the second week of April. They'll have teams wildcarded into the main draw of Sakurima. And then they'll have teams wildcarded into the main draw of Uberlandia. So they won't need to qualify for those events. So I have a feeling that they'll jump right back up into the rankings. But they're not as strong as they have been in the past. I mean, you think about Brazilian beach volleyball. They had the Jose Loyola 
era. They had the Emmanuel Rego era. They had the Ricardo, Alisson, Bruno, Evandro, Pedro. And now it's just sort of this gap where this is a Scandinavian beach, beach volleyball sport right now. The top two teams in the world are from Scandinavia. The Americas have lost their control. For the longest time, it was the U.S. and Brazil. That's kind of how it is on the women's side. But there's this huge power shift right now. It's a European sport. And I'm really interested to see how Brazil responds. They're very strong on the women's side, obviously, but the Brazilian men really struggled. However, it was just one match that really decided everything, and it really changed everything also for the the stars and hopes of Daniele Lupo and Enrico Rossi. So as I mentioned... They were bad in La Paz, barbecued straight out of it, lost two straight, and then they lost the first set of the first round of the qualifier to Evandro and Arthur, 21-13. You lose that set, and Lupo and Rossi are in deep trouble. They're already behind the eight ball on Adrian Carambula and Alex Rangieri. They're way behind Sam Coltafava and Paolo Nicolai. Had they lost in the first round of the qualifier, had they lost that second or third set to Evandro and Arthur, they'd be in big trouble. Ended up winning, ended up qualifying, and ended up taking a ninth-place finish in Tepic sort of saved their chances for quite a bit because that would have been a huge ding on the entry points. So Lupo and Rossi ended up recovering nicely by stumping Brazil. After that, the Italian women. How about it? Valentina Gattardi is the was the darling of Tepic. Just 20 years old, she made her a huge breakthrough in last year's World Championships with Marta Menegatti, the three-time Olympian veteran, the 2011 FIVB Most Improved Player. And she's only 32 years old. She's been around for so long, has had so much success, and here she is grooming a superstar in the making. Guattardi led the tournament in all points scored. She led the tournament in blocks by 10, led the, point, led the tournament in aces by 11. She was phenomenal. They worked Brandy Wilkerson and Melissa Humana Paredes in the quarterfinals. And Guattardi, she had five straight aces. Five straight aces against the team that had just won the queen of the court and AVP Miami. In my mind, one of the top five teams in the world. That's Melon Brandy. And they stumped them. They won 15-7 to in the third set, made their way to the semifinals. Guattardi had two swings for the match to win a bronze medal over Taliqua and Marife of Australia. Didn't take advantage, but that is a team that is for real. I was talking to Jordan Chang about it, and in their semifinals when they played Kelly Chang and Sarah Hughes, Jordan said, you know what, we're going to test Valentina. We're going to see what she's made of. She's 20 years old. Teams keep testing Marta Menegatti. It's sort of the, the evil you know, right? You know teams have seen Marta Menegatti. And Valentina, she stood up to the test. She was fantastic in the semifinals, fantastic in the bronze medal match. I expect her and Marta Menegatti to be a force to be reckoned with for a while. Now, there might be some consistency issues there with Valentina. She's 20. It's just her second year on tour playing in the big leagues. But I'd expect that those consistency issues, whatever there may be, will be shored up over the course of the year and over the course of the next 16 months of Olympic qualifying. So that is kind of a wild card team, a dark horse that could just beat anyone. I mentioned Melon Brandy, the Canadian women. They were phenomenal in the last three weeks. They skipped La Paz. They were playing AVP Miami instead. Brandy won her first AVP. A huge congrats to Brandy for that. They were fantastic. And then... Melissa Humana Paredes, she, they were queens of the court in South Beach in Miami. She won another AVP. It, they were really strong, and, and they got a fifth place in Tepic. Wasn't their best showing in that quarterfinal, whereas it was a really good showing for the Italians. Um, but so I, I'm bullish on the Canadians, bullish on the Italians. Now, if the breakout 
of Valentina Gattati, if that was sort of the birth of a star, Stefan Bormann's in York de Groot was the rebirth of a star. York de Groot was so good. Just 20 years old, took a silver medal in the European Championships with Stefan Bormann's in 2021. Ended up, they went to three in that final match with Anders Mullen, Christian Sorum. Ended up winning a gold medal in Stad. And then York de Groot got a hernia. Had to miss the entire season for the most part in 2022. It was brutal. Bormans did phenomenal. Picking up with Matthew Emmers, won a gold medal in a challenge. Was very good with Emmers. Took a fourth in Hamburg. And then now Bormans had a choice whether to stick with Amherst or to wait for DeGroote when he came back. Well, DeGroote came back and he did not miss a step. They made a, they won a silver medal in La Paz and they were fantastic. It was so cool to see DeGroote, how much it meant to him when they won their semifinal in La Paz. You could see he just sort of collapsed into Borman's arms. And it was, it's so cool to see these gigantic men have such cool, intimate emotional moments because you could see how much it meant to them and DeGroote is I mean he's phenomenal they ended up qualifying the next week in Tepic on very short rest and they ended up making it all the way back to the semifinals got stumped by one of the best matches I've ever seen Anders Moll play ended up having a kind of a lackluster match against Germans Nils Ellers and Clemens Wickler who they're playing very well but York DeGroote, Stefan Bormans, in my mind, that's the number three team in the world in my subjective power rankings, right behind Anders Moll, Christian Sorum, and Sweden. I think the semifinals of the men in Tepic featured three of the top teams in the world. It was a very fitting semifinal. They took a fourth. They'll still be in that Elite 16 qualifier level, which is such a bummer because those are so brutal, as you saw George and Andre. I mean, they didn't even make it out. Six of last year's eight World Championship semifinalists were in the qualifier of the Tepic Elite 16. Only came shock and Theo Brunner made it out. That's how brutal these are. So even though I'm very high on Bormans and DeGroote, if you're in those Elite 16 qualifiers, it's such a brutal thing. So the the rebirth of a star of York DeGroote was one of my favorite storylines of the past two weeks in Mexico. Also, another guy returning, one of my favorite players to watch, Kusti Novak, also one of the coolest names of Estonia, him and Martisar. I left them out of my predictions when I was going through the teams to make Paris because Martisar just had hip surgery, and so he was out for a number of months. I wasn't sure if they were going to come back and play. Novak was signed up for a different guy in the Doha King of the Court, ended up coming out in Miami. Winning the king of the court, took a ninth in La Paz, took a ninth in Tepic, and they were just swaggering. Kusti Novak was hand-setting on one, on, in serve receive. He literally hand-set three points on serve receive, four kills. It was incredible. I love his game. If you haven't watched it, I'm sure if we have any old school viewers in here, you're probably losing your minds watching Kusti Novak, but I enjoyed it. The refs, I think, were too confused to even call anything. It was, it's just so fun to watch. And they are just the absolute nicest guys. You just, you almost have to root for them. So I do think if I were to go back and amend my Olympic rankings, which I won't, I'll stand by it. I'll be accountable for it when I'm wrong. I do think that the Estonians will qualify for Paris. They're excellent, excellent players and an excellent team. And it's really fun to see them back. Now, while I was talking about the swagger of Kusti Nolbeck, also swaggering, is Moritz Pristals of Austria. I am really excited for the new team in Austria between Moritz Pristals and Robin Seidel. So Seidel and Philip Waller for the last quad formed one of my favorite teams. The undersized heroes is what I call them because Seidel is a six foot three blocker. Philip Waller is six foot three, a defender. And they were still one of the top 15 teams in the world. 
for the world rankings. Now, Seidel has teamed up with Moritz Pristaus, who in my mind for the last probably five years has been the world's most underrated player. No one knows how good this guy is. He won the king of the court with Marco Kratiger when they teamed up. And I was talking to Rich Lamborn about it, and he was just like, man, this guy is unbelievable. And I'm happy that the world is finally going to get to see just how good Pristaus is now that he's partnered with, I think, a very elite-level blocker in Robin Seidel. He was with Martin Ermacora, still a very good talent. Now Ermacora is with Waller. It was fun to watch them have a, a matchup together in La Paz, the old former partners battling against each other. Pristaus and Seidel won that one, ended up winning a bronze medal in La Paz. And if you missed the semifinal in La Paz, one of the best matches I've ever seen, the second set in particular with Bormans and DeGroote is one of the highest level sets of beach volleyball I've seen in a very long time. Do yourself a favor, go on VBTV, watch that replay. It's fantastic. I'm very high on the new Austrian team, Pristaus and Seidel. I think that they will qualify for the Olympics and I'm just high on, on what they're going to be able to do for the rest of the year. Now, we've covered kind of the teams who have had the biggest storylines. The teams to sort of be aware of, kind of just hopping on the struggle bus a little bit, is Latvia as a whole federation is struggling, but particularly with the men. So Alexander Samoilovs and Giannis Smedens, again, for the second straight tournament, they failed to get out of the qualifier. They lost to Brazil. In La Paz, Edgar's Tox and Christian's Volkerats, they lost to Italy in La Paz, and that was the first round of the qualifier, so that was extra just tough on their points. On the women's side, Tina Gradina and Anastasia Samoylova, they went 0-3 in Tepic. I'm not super concerned about Tina and Anastasia, but the Latvian men are struggling right now. The important thing to consider for all teams who are struggling is that Paris is so far away, and right now you want to make this really a race to world championships. So to qualify for world championships, you take your best six finishes of the season up to world champs, which is in October in Tlaxcala, Mexico. It's going to be wild. If you can get there, I highly recommend it. Loved playing there last year. And so what Latvia needs to do right now is just make sure that they get to world champs because those are the biggest points that you can get. And all you need is one good weekend. You have a good weekend at world champs, you completely flip the script and change the narrative on your Olympic hopes. And so that's how I think a lot of teams are looking at it, especially the American women not named Kelly Chang and Sarah Hughes and Kristen Ness and Taryn Cloth, who have huge edges right now. If the other American women can push into world champs, that's where this race is going to get really, really fun in Tlaxcala in October. So for Latvia, who's struggling, you just want to get into world champs. For the other American women, you just want to get into world champs. And then you roll the dice and see what happens. Uh, Switzerland is the other federation that was struggling a little bit. Marco Kratiger and Florian Breer, I think they're fantastic. I have them qualifying for Paris out of the Continental Cup. Uh, not by points, but they lost in both qualifiers, uh, both as far as I can remember. They lost to Brazil. Adrian Hydritz and Leo Diller, they lost in the qualifier in La Paz in the first round as well. So they also lost to Brazil. So Brazil is just wreaking havoc all over Swiss. And then Esme Bodmer and Zoe Verge-Dupre, they lost to the Klinger sisters, who I have to give a shout out. Rania and Dory Klinger, you were phenomenal in La Paz, landed the upset of the season, maybe the upset of the last two years when you swept Kelly Chang and Sarah Hughes in the quarterfinals. A great job by the Clingers, not just qualifying, but making a run all the way to the semifinals in La Paz. For Switzerland, though, good news is that I did see Anouk Verge-Dupre and Joanna Heydrich back on the entry list for Uberlandia. We haven't seen Joe since she hurt her shoulder in the bronze medal match of world champs. And in an odd sort of change of fate for Switzerland, 
it might actually be somewhat helpful for Joanna and Anouk that they are retaining their world championship entry points. Because by the time that Joe and Anouk come back, everyone's world championships are going to be washed out except for theirs. So they're going to be riding high on the entry points. So they're going to be straight into Elite 16s as far as I can tell if the math is right, which it's my math. You got to be pretty sus with that. Uh, I, I think that they'll be seated straight in the main draw. I'm excited for them. Uh, love Anouk, love her game. I'm excited to see them back. I, I think they're one of the best teams in the world. They're the first team from Europe to win an Olympic bronze medal. Uh, I'm still high on them, still have them qualifying. So Switzerland, they could use a, a little morale boost. Now, per our a number of listeners and viewers requests, I'm going to have a North American specific report. We have a number of Canadian viewers who wanted me to make sure I mention the Canadians. Uh, the new team, uh, Sarah Pavin and Sophie Bukovic, they took a ninth in Tepic, which sounds good, but it was a tough one. They were... They didn't play their best ball by any means, and they'll be the first ones to say it. Um, so ninth is a good finish given how they played. I think that it's still a new team. I'm still pretty high on them. Sophie Bukovic is one of the best athletes I know, one of the hardest workers I know. And then you have Sarah Pavin. She's the best blocker in Canadian history. So a ninth isn't the worst thing in the world. It's their second straight ninth since teaming up, or maybe their third straight. They played in the Beach Pro Tour Finals, took a ninth, played in the Doha Elite 16, took a ninth, and then they took a ninth in Tepic. And I think that... The worst finish that you want on your points ledger of the 12 in your Olympic rankings is probably going to be a 13th or a 9th in the Tepic Elite 16, or not in just any Elite 16. So I think adding up, getting your 9ths in early, getting those low finishes, it's not the worst thing to happen, especially in a new partnership. So they're just kind of, they're hovering in that range where they're either on the cusp of the main draw for Elite 16s or just in the qualifier Once they dip into the qualifier, then we're going to have to watch them a little bit more closely and see what they're made of. Uh, I mentioned Savvy and Tony of the United States. Huge silver medal for them. Stoked for them, especially for the long road that Tony's had since she got injured. Really fired up for their silver medal. Big morale boost for the girls. Uh, Trevor and Theo. I'm shocked by how good they're playing. They're playing awesome. Theo Bruner, he's playing with a newfound energy. Trevor Crabb is playing with the same badass energy. They took a fifth in the pods. Their only losses were to Bormans and DeGroote. Lost to them at pool play, lost to them in the quarters. And then they played really good volleyball in Tepic. I mean, really good volleyball. Their only really bad match was against Adrian Karambula and Alex Rangieri. And then they lost in three to the Estonians, who I mentioned. Then they beat Brower and Musin in three. And then it was unfortunate for them because they were tied with Brower and Musin to break pool, and it doesn't go to head-to-head anymore. They lost on a point and set differential to Brower and Musin, so they ended up taking a 13th. But I'm giving them a moral victory for beating Brower and Musin, the number two ranked team in the world, one of the best teams of the last decade and a half. So Trevor and Theo, pretty high on them. They're now the number one ranked American team in the Olympic rankings, higher than Triborn and Came Shock, who absolutely flatlined. In La Paz, it was one of the worst, some of the worst volleyball I've seen Kane play and even talked about it. He was like, I sided out so bad against France's Remy Bassero and Julian Lanille. And so he owned it. And then what I love about it is that they responded so well. They qualified, had a badass match with Moritz Pristaus and Robin Seidel in the qualifier in Tepic. Ended up qualifying after beating Philip Waller and Martin Ermacora. So they're just Austria's nemesis right now. Knocked off Austria's ones and twos in the qualifier. Went to three with Sweden. Went to three with Germany. They were both on the podium. That silver and bronze medalist try and came push them to the limit. 
And they played good volleyball. They played way better volleyball than the scores show. They went 27-25, 27-25 with the Czech Republic's Andre Perisic and David Schweiner. So they're playing good volleyball, but they just need to win, and they're just getting started. So similar to Sophie and Pavin of Canada, I think they just need time. And that goes for Trevor and Theo, too. I think both of those American teams, they played excellent. They proved that they do belong in the world tour, that this, these new partnerships, they can be successful. Pretty high on them. Mentioned Mel and Brandy. Uh, they were fantastic in Queen of the Court. They were fantastic in Miami. Stoked that Brandy got her first AVP win. I think that they are going to be, they're the best team in Canada, one of the best teams in the world. Very high on them. And the last point is the other American women. So you have Kelly and Sarah Hughes, Kelly Chang and Sarah Hughes, number one by quite a long shot. Then you have Kristen Nuss and Taryn Cloth, number two by not quite as a long shot, but they've established themselves pretty clearly in my mind as that number two team. And so the rest of the American women, it's a fight to the world champs. Sarah Sponsel and Therese Cannon, Emily Stockman, Megan Kraft, Kelly Kalinske, and Haley Harward. Um, they just want to get to world champs. That's where the big points are. That's where the biggest moves can be made. So keep an eye on the world champs race as we get closer to October. Next up, we have two challengers and then an elite 16. So April is a busy month. We have a challenge in Itapema challenge in Sakurima outside Rio de Janeiro. And then we have a elite 16 in Uberlandia. So April is going to be a big, big month. Always fun hanging out with you guys, chatting volley. I have a blast commentating. I hope you guys enjoy listening. I hope I add something to the VBTV matches. I'm stoked for this Olympic race. Thanks for hanging out. Next time we will have a second producer. Red Bull gives you wings. Shoots. Shoots.